Hey, this is Dan with episode 48 of Garage to Goliath, Leaders Building Legacies podcast. Before we dive in, I have a personal favor to ask. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe and leave an honest review in iTunes at quigglegroup.com forward slash iTunes. As our audience and community grows, I need to hear more and more from you on the content you like, what you need to hear as a leader, and what is helpful for you on your leadership journey. Your ratings and reviews help others find the show and in turn helps us have a greater impact. Also, my guest today is the host of the One Thing podcast, Jeff Woods. So you can get show notes, references, and a show recap of this episode at quigglegroup.com forward slash 048. Jeff Woods and I mutually believe very much in knowledge sharing and in the importance of learning from others, which is why I think it's essential for every leader, no matter what stage of life you're in, to build and engage their own kitchen cabinet. To learn more about a kitchen cabinet and how to build one of your own, you can get a free copy of my leadership ebook, Who's in Your Kitchen Cabinet? 10 Ways to Build a Powerful Brain Trust at quigglegroup.com. That's Q-U-I-G-G-L-E group.com forward slash kitchen cabinet. Enjoy. Can you once a day develop the habit of asking a question when you would have told. Because when that becomes a habit, you're more likely to ask a second question. When that becomes a habit, you actually start asking better questions and the domino effect gets unleashed in your life. So imagine getting to speak around the world, meeting the most successful, positive leaders, then getting to choose from that group. That's what my show is about, learning from the best, how to be your best, so that we can challenge ourselves to lead with purpose, impacting lives and communities. Hi, I'm Dan Quiggle, and welcome to the Garage to Goliath Leaders Building Legacies podcast, where we learn, lead, and leave a lasting legacy. In episode 48 of our time together, our guest is Jeff Woods. Jeff is the vice president of the company behind the best-selling book by Gary Keller and Jay Papasan, The One Thing. After really ruminating on the quote from Jim Rohn, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with, Jeff was on a mission to surround himself with high-level CEOs and successful entrepreneurs. On this mission, Jeff went from employee to entrepreneur and launched a company with the co-authors of the best-selling book, The One Thing. The One Thing is a division of KW Publishing, the publishing arm of Keller Williams Realty International. Jeff, thanks for being here today. Thanks for investing in my listeners. I wanted to have you on today because I believe to my core that you are only as good as the people you surround yourself with. And I know we talked about that when I was on, uh, you know, a guest on the One Thing podcast, and we'll be sure to link that episode of your show to our show notes at quigglegroup.com forward slash 048. But Jeff, please share with my listeners, it can be a Cliff Notes version, your story and the journey you took to get to where you are right now. Sure. Thanks for having me, Dan. Prior to starting this company with Gary Keller and Jay Papazan, I was in medical device sales. I was a sales guy. Um, and every day, even though I was happy in my job, I was lacking one thing, fulfillment. For some reason, when I took my head off the pillow, something was missing. Uh, I always had this vision of building a company that made a really big impact and that would deliver real security for my family However, I had these nice golden handcuffs on, had a great job, had great work-life balance, if you want to call it that, uh, yet I didn't have a reason to make a change until two things happened in my life. A colleague of mine had a stroke. At the time, he was 35 years old. My wife and I had just bought a house in Orange County during that time. We had just had our first daughter. My wife's a stay-at-home mom, and I remember 
thinking as my colleague was uh, in the hospital, if that was me, what would happen to my family? That was very unsettling. And then the next week, just the way timing worked out, my company needed to make a change to our commission structure in order to remain competitive in the marketplace. And I took a 40% pay cut, which those two things back to back suddenly escalated the amount of pain in my life that compelled me to take action. Because when your bank account starts getting to zero and you realize you're the sole provider for the household, you got to make some changes. That's when I heard the Jim Rohn quote, like you mentioned, Dan, that you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And I looked at who my five were, great people, love them to death. And yet I had no right seeking guidance from them because they weren't where I wanted to be. So I set out on a mission to surround myself with the right people. And in doing so, I ended up meeting Jay Papazan, who co-authored The One Thing with Gary Keller. And you fast forward, I now run the company behind the book. So you know what's interesting about that? And I want my listeners to really think about this because, you know, it doesn't take a life-changing event for a friend or for you or within your family to really start asking yourself these questions. Am I in control of my own life? And I think that's where you're mm-hmm. headed is you, you know, that 40% cut, that was not in your control. And so, you know, the importance of, of making sure that you are in control, that you are making the de- decisions or at least playing a role in that becomes very, I think, very important in a leader's life. And, and so well, here's, what's, here's what's interesting about that, Dan. Like, I went through that mindset of that, that's not in my control. Them changing my comp structure is not within my control. True. Yet I was still accountable. Here's why. Nobody held a gun to my head and said, wake up and go sell these medical devices. I willingly chose to trade my life every day for that role inside that company. It took a level of pain to get high enough for me to realize that I am in control and I have simply given it up. That's a great point. That's a great point. So you got to take it back. <laughs> and, 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 you know, what I love about the one thing, and first of all, let's, let's start from the very beginning. What is the one thing principle? Can you share sure. that, how you apply that principle in your own life? Sure. The, the one thing is the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. We're not talking about good results, great results. We're talking about extraordinary. And that's it. Well, I'll ask it as a question. Have you ever had one of those days where you worked really hard and you looked up at the end of the day and wondered, Did I even get anything done? We all have this, and it's because most of us go through our days reacting to whatever is urgent. We tell ourselves the story that we have to be in our email inbox. We have to reply quickly. We have to attend those meetings. We have to say yes when somebody stops by and asks, do you got a minute? The surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results is there is one thing you can do such that by doing it, everything else will be easier or unnecessary. And until your number one priority is done, everything else is a distraction. So can you share a few stories so that they understand like what that could be? Oh, yeah. So my first 90 days of being in business with Gary and Jay, uh, I had to, there were three things they were assessing me on. The three things that I had to do, and if I couldn't execute on these, I was fired. I didn't earn the right to run this company. It was cast a vision, lead with revenue by generating $100,000 out of thin air in 90 days or less, and prove that I could recruit and retain talent. Now, I shared those in order of priority. So the first thing they tested was my ability to cast a vision for the company. Now, Dan, you have to consider, I'm fresh out of scrubs. 
I'm a sales guy. I've never been a CEO of a company. And all of a sudden, I'm sitting down in front of Gary Keller, who, run, who started the largest real estate company in the world. I mean, this is a titan of the real estate industry. And I have to sell him on my business plan? That was slightly intimidating. I walk into this boardroom. It's Jay, Gary, and myself. And I hand each of them a single sheet of paper. We call it a GPS. That's our one-page business plan. And on it had three priorities. The three priorities that if I could accomplish these things this year would make everything else easier or unnecessary, and they were listed in order of priority. So we started talking about number one. Gary and Jay asked a bunch of questions. I answered them. I said, we good? They go, yeah. I moved on to number two. Pretty quickly, Gary started asking more questions about number one. I didn't think anything about it. I just answered the questions, said, are we good? He goes, yeah. I finish up number two, start talking about number three. Gary starts asking more questions about number one. You ever seen Meet the Parents, Dan? Yes. Yeah, you know the circle of trust? Yes, I know the circle of trust. I, I, I love I that, I love that like, part, by the way. Right. I felt like I was outside the circle of trust. Why does Gary keep talking about number one? I didn't know, so I did the best I could do. I answered the question, asked, are we good? He goes, yeah. I'm talking about number three for no more than 10 seconds, and he stops me a final time. He asks, do you need to do number three in order to accomplish number two? I said, no. He said, do you need to accomplish number two in order to accomplish number one? I said, no. He said, then do me a favor. Draw a line between number one and number two, or even better, rip the page in half. Don't even think about number two and number three until you've earned the right to by mastering number one. It was in that moment, Dan, that I realized I was living the number one lie of productivity. I was treating everything like it mattered equally. How many of you go through your days feeling like you have to advance the ball on all these different fronts? The truth is there is one thing that matters more than anything else, and until you accomplish that one thing, everything else is a distraction. You know, it, it goes back to that whole multitasking. You know, I mean, this... It's very interesting because, you know, is that a positive or is that a negative? What do you think? Well, I think it's a negative. I think you can't focus mm -hmm. on what you need to focus on. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you agree with that? I do now. I remember as a kid being taught that multitasking was a great thing, yet the, the research simply doesn't back it up. And I'll, I'll share an example of that I think most of us have, have encountered. Imagine a time when you were in the middle of reading an email and all of a sudden you got a phone call. You looked at your phone, you saw who it was, you answered the phone, you had the conversation, you hung up, you thought to yourself, what was I doing? Oh yeah, that email. When you went back to that email, did you go exactly to the same spot, the same word and continue reading without a hitch? Or did you have to go back to the top and read it all over again? We all know the answer. We all went back to the top, we all reread it. That doesn't seem like such a big deal, yet this is, what if I asked you that instantly, if you could just make one change, that you could take back control of 28% of the time that you are currently wasting? 28%. We'd all be like, yes, yeah, serve it up. Stop multitasking. Start monotasking. When you do those switches, there's something called a switch cost, and here's, I'll break it down. You're reading the email, all of a sudden your phone rings. You switch and acknowledge the fact that the phone's ringing. Then you have to reorient yourself to the rules of that game. 
oh, this is who's calling. This is what we talked about last time. This is what they're probably talking about. Okay, now I'm prepared to answer. That all happens in the split of a second. You answer, you have the conversation, which is a distraction. You hang up, you switch back to email, and then you have to reorient yourself by rereading the email. That gap is the switch cost. And the research shows that when you extrapolate that out over time, we waste 28% of our day to those distractions. So, Jeff, I appreciate you bringing that. So, so for my listeners, I want you to really think about your day and how many times a day you're sitting there and that switch cost, that, that, that situation occurs. And if you stayed focused on that, that moment, that number one priority, how much more you can accomplish during your day. I mean, because 28%, I mean, that's almost a third of your time. And, and right. so when you think of how valuable that is, because if, if you say you're in a, in a leadership role and you think that your job is important, why would you allow something to sap away, take away almost a third of your time? And mm-hmm. so just is there a way that you can stay focused, that you can be, um, you know, the leader that you need to be and, and accomplish the things that you want to accomplish? So, well, and here's, here's, here's another side of it, Dan. Have you ever been in a flow state where you were just in the zone? Of course, yeah. I mean, you, you feel like you're unstoppable. <laughs> right. And when you get pulled out of that because of a distraction or whatever, do you just go right back into the zone? No way. No Not way. So yeah. for those of you who are going, eh, that switch cost doesn't seem like that big, you know what it feels like to be in the zone and to get pulled out. Sometimes you never get it back. So the question is, what's the one thing that's most likely to stop you from continuing to focus on your most important work. And by the way, for those of you that want a better, maybe a different analogy for this, it's a reason why there are timeouts in sports, okay? <laughs> when somebody's about to, to, to shoot the basket and they call a timeout, they're trying to freeze the kicker in football, whatever it is, it's because if they're in their rhythm and all of a sudden you get out of your rhythm, uh, bad things can start to happen. And, and, and so, you know, it, it's that same way, but it's just on a business perspective. It's on a leadership perspective. So, I so, love that. So, Jeff, you, you've had this crazy opportunity to hear so many successful leaders on your podcast on the one thing. And by the way, I'll definitely link to this uh, in the show notes because I want everybody to, to listen to it and subscribe. Um, can, can you share with my listeners, what is the one thing that differentiates mediocre leaders from exceptional ones? Because you hear, you know, the, and, I, and I mean that specifically, like, what's the one thing? Like, if you had to come up with, all, out of all, listening to all these great minds, what do you think is a differentiator? The questions they ask. I have, um, there's a quote in the one thing from F.M. Alexander that people don't decide their futures. They decide their habits. And their habits decide their futures. So I'm going, all right, if I want to, achieve a life of extraordinary results? What are the habits that I can acquire such that by acquiring them would make living an extraordinary life easier or unnecessary? And I looked at Gary Keller, most successful person that I know. And I asked the question, what habits did he acquire? And when you talk about leaders, right, we're not talking about managers or then between a manager and a leader. We believe that leadership is teaching people how to think so they can get what they need when they need it. How do you teach someone to think so they can get what they need when they need it? Well, the two-inch domino that you can knock over is ask them great questions instead of telling them what to do. I think a lot of us call ourselves leaders, yet at the end of the day, we're telling our people what they should be doing in their role. They're coming to us with questions, and we're giving them the answer. And ultimately, we're rescuing them. 
Support can look like saving if you don't have standards. So we make a standard. We don't answer people's questions. We ask them questions. And I have gone on a road to mastering asking great questions, and the impact has been profound. So this begs the question, I mean, what are, what are some of the best questions you think people should be asking not only of themselves, but the people they surround themselves with? That is such a, we would have to narrow it down. But can you give me an example, Dan? Well, I mean, I mean, just like, okay, so somebody comes in, they have an issue. Okay. Um, you know, what are some of the initial questions that you, that you lead with? And, and, and I mean, from, a, from, from a bottom line, I, I will always say, I have some ideas. And I want to hear yours first because your ideas may be better. What do you think you should do? So I do appreciate that from, from this perspective. You know, so often people want to, they want to be in the weeds, honestly. I, I have this picture of this NASCAR and you're looking, you know, it's, it's from the driver's perspective. You're looking out the front and there's an accident happening, which means there's cars flipping literally in front of you and there's smoke. And I always say, are you focused on the opening in front of you or the debris flying all around you? And here's why, because they'll come and they'll say, Dan, the problem is, and I'll say, okay, well, what's the solution? They'll say, see, the problem is, and I'm like, no, I've already heard the problems. What's your solution? You know, and it goes back to that, you know, have they even thought through, you know, what are the most important pieces of this? What maybe what, going back to what you said, what is their one thing? You know, what's the one thing that they can do that can maybe solve this problem or get, get us through this uh, challenge? And uh, so, so no, I appreciate that. And I love that you said, ask better questions. I want my, my listeners to really think about that. When people come into their office, when you're passing somebody in the hallway, um, you know, are you allowing them, are you forcing them to at least think through the process and maybe to come up with a solid solution? And, uh, or are we doing it all for them or at least attempting to? Can, can I break something down for them? Because I really want Please. them to understand the power of this. So, again, people don't decide their futures. They decide their habits. And their habits decide their futures. I, for, and I'm, this is my self-talk, I want to build an empire. I want to make a massive impact. In order, so what's the one thing I can do that would make building an empire easier or unnecessary? Become a master of recruiting amazing talent into my world and never having them want to leave. And what's the one thing I can do that would make that easier or unnecessary? Coach them to part their possibilities. What's the one thing I can do to coach them to their possibilities? Ask great questions. What's the one thing I can do to ask great questions? Form the habit of asking great questions. What's the one thing I can do to form the habit of asking great questions? Ask one question a day when I normally would have told. That's the one thing. The two-inch domino that you can knock over, that if you knocked it over consistently over time, would lead to hockey stick growth. That's great. Can you, once a day, develop the habit of asking a question when you would have told? Because when that becomes a habit, you're more likely to ask a second question. When that becomes a habit, you actually start asking better questions, and the domino effect gets unleashed in your life. And so for my listeners, don't, don't think this is just for business. I mean, th this is right. Oh. At, this is right, sitting squarely in front of you in the family. Instead of telling the kids, instead of telling the spouse, instead of telling even the friends. I mean, to ask questions on what you know, what is important to them, what matters to them, why they're thinking what they're thinking, why they did what they did, and I, I just think there's a lot of great opportunity there from a personal perspective as well. Oh yeah, I've got a, a five-year-old and a two-year-old, and my five-year-old 
is going to be a great entrepreneur one day. She is driven and she is stubborn. Uh, getting her to go to bed was an all-out war because when you tell her what to do, she naturally resists. She's, she's an alpha. One day, like I developed this habit of doing it in my business that all of a sudden I was about to say, Daphne, go to bed, and it hit. Ask a question when you naturally would tell. And I asked her, I looked at her, I said, Daphne, how are you feeling right now? She goes, tired. I said, well, what's one thing you can do that would make you not tired? She said, go to bed. I said, oh my gosh, that's a great idea. <laughs> she goes, okay, daddy, good night. And she marched upstairs and put herself to bed and I, my chin hit the ground. <laughs> You've got to be kidding me. And that has just taken off from there. Yeah, no, I, th- I think it, it's interesting. I was in a, speaking at this conference and this guy raises his hand and he said, my wife and I, every Sunday night, ask each other a question. We know it's coming, so it's not threatening. And uh, we've been doing it for 26 years. Even if we're traveling, we call each other, we ask the same question. They say, on, on Sunday night, they say, what did I do this week that you never, ever want me to stop doing? And what did I do this week that you never, ever want me to do again? And then we talk about it. And he said, it's the one time during the week where we can kind of be vulnerable with each other. We can kind of be honest and, and, and raw with each other. And it doesn't hurt because we know it's coming. And we know we're kind of just trying to look out for each other's best interests and make each other happy. And, and I, I think there's, there's value in asking these questions um, personally and professionally. And, and, then, and, and then the key to this is then actually listening. You, know, do, you don't have to do what they say to do, but you may want that information. That information becomes very valuable. So don't let that information pass you by. You know, talk to my listeners about this paradox of thinking big but acting small. What does that mean? Yeah. Most people think big and act big. They think big about their goals, their dreams, their vision, and then they act big. You're acting big when you tell yourself that you have to get it all done, that you just have to do one more thing. You go small. I, 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 the reason I broke down the idea of building an empire all the way down to the very lead domino being asked one question a day when I would have told is the focusing question of the book is what's the one thing I can do such that by doing it, everything else will be easier or unnecessary. One thing, not two, not three. One thing you can do. That's not you'll feel guilty if you don't do it or you feel like you should do it. It's the thing that you actually can do. Rain, shine, you absolutely can do that one thing such that by doing it, meaning you don't just listen to the podcast and then go check email, you actually implement the material. Everything else will be easier or unnecessary. So how can you have big goals, big visions, and continue to ask that focusing question of what's the one thing I can do such that by doing it, everything else will be easier or unnecessary to the point that you get to a two-inch domino that you can knock over consistently. Isn't there excitement and power in actually being able to knock that domino down? Because I think what happens is we get 50 things on our plate and then nothing gets done. And, and there's mm-hmm. no sense of accomplishment there because now you just feel overwhelmed. And, and you feel right. like you can't do anything. And so by setting that, that, that goal and being able to knock that down, then and I, would, I would think it would allow you to set the next one up and then knock that down and actually get things accomplished throughout a day. Because here's the reality. You know, unless there's trust funds sitting around, which there wasn't for me. I'm not sure about you, but there certainly wasn't for me. Um, you know, we have to work. And when you work, there's a lot of pressure. You know, because you've got to perform and there's, there's, there's bosses and there's shareholders and then there's, you know, all these other things. 
but there's also at home there's a family that's waiting for vacations and time and 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 you know so it i think it's important that we can accomplish goals and set very specific goals and really focus on what matters and i i think it's interesting so you you talked about that you know thinking big acting small i mean I hope you don't mind me asking, but Gary Keller, I mean, here's a guy who's top of his industry. He's done extremely well in life. He's created an empire, uh, by the way, of raving fans, you know, who love that company. And rightfully so. Um, he does a great job leading. How would he practice this, thinking big, acting small? Perfect example is he is in, you walk into his office, there is a piece of paper that has Sharpie that's written on it, until my number one priority is done, everything else is a distraction. Now, I've never met anybody who has so much responsibility as he does, who could have so many plates that need to be kept spinning, yet he really lives his life that way. He is hyper clear on what the absolute number one priority is every single day, and everything else is treated like a distraction. If that means the calendar needs to be rescheduled, it gets rescheduled. If it means that he needs to bring people on so that certain responsibilities, problems can be delegated, it gets done. His focus never deviates from that one thing. And people might ask, well, he gets to do that because he's Gary Keller. I would ask you the question, does he get to do that because he's Gary Keller? Or is he Gary Keller because <laughs> he does those things? Exactly. So, so now, could, just because my, my listeners are going are just thinking right now, so what could those things be? So it could be today I need to hire, we need to find a specific person or we need to acquire a specific, or is, is it that type of goal? Like give, give me an example just so I, my listeners can understand what you're talking about. Can we turn the tables on you and make it real? Go ahead. Okay. What's the one thing that you're not currently doing, Dan, that if you started doing would completely transform your business? Probably fin- uh, not working on as many dominoes. So pro- probably a lot of lot of dominoes. So you know we're creating the Quiggle assessment, and we're creating an online course for you know for young people. And there's just a lot of things going on. So I think maybe focusing on one specific thing and actually accomplishing it and, and, and finishing it as a fo- as opposed to having lots of you know balls in the air. Because you know I, I'm probably like a lot of people where you know you've got a lot of great ideas. At least you think so in your own head, and and you you know you want to get them all done, but maybe nothing's getting done. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like, imagine waking up and suddenly you're, you're treading water in the middle of the ocean. You look around and you see land nowhere, nothing in sight. What will happen if you continue to swim 10 feet in one direction and then decide that's wrong and then go 10 feet in another direction? That's wrong. 10 feet in another direction. What will ultimately happen? Yeah, you're not going to go anywhere. <laughs> and you're going to be, you're going to be, yeah, you're going to drown. You're going to drown. That's what's happening in our businesses. We're advancing the ball a little bit on this project, but it's not done. And then we advance it a little bit on this project and a little bit on this project. We never get anything to completion. And the research shows every time you switch from one thing to the next and the loose ends pile up, the less likely you are to go back and tie that initial loose end up. Dan, of all the plates that are spinning in your life, what is the one thing that if you just accomplished that would make everything else easier or unnecessary? Yeah, probably empowering the people around me to let them do their job, to let them do what they want to do. Because, I, again, you know, I'm, I 
talk about this. I preach about it. And still yet, I want to be involved in these decisions sometimes, decisions that I don't need to, to be involved with. And so maybe, people listening. So, so, so maybe it's the freedom <laughs> to make the decisions and to move forward. Great. So for people listening to this, I want you to witness what's happening. We're, we continue, we're continuing to go smaller. We thought big, and now we're going smaller. Dan, what's the one thing you can do that would give your pre- people the freedom to make decisions on what they're going to focus on? Get out of the way. What's the one thing you can do to get out of the way? I'm not sure where to go for, with that one. I'm, I am going to keep asking the question, and I'll guide you here. Hey, wait a minute. Get... I'm falling into your question trap. No, this is fantastic. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to keep asking until we get to a two-inch domino, a specific, measurable action. Not the result, the action that you can do such that by doing it would make getting out of the way easier or unnecessary. What's the one thing you can do such that by doing it would make getting out of the way easier or unnecessary? I mean, I guess just release. I mean, give, give them, give them the, the, the goal to get it done by a specific date and the freedom to make the decisions to get there. I mean, that's, that's really, from my okay. perspective, what I need to do. So imagine you did that this week. What did you do? I got a lot off my plate and allowed it to move forward and to maybe reach the shore instead of drown along the way. Yeah. Let me guide you. How much time will it take to give them that permission? About 10 seconds. Okay. When is that 10 seconds going to occur? <laughs> Today. When? Uh, after we hang up here, after we finish this uh, interview. How will I know that it's done? See, that's what I love about like groups like Vistage is the accountability portion. And, and again, listeners, really focus in on what he's doing and what he's talking about because I love that. It's setting a very specific date, a very specific time, a very specific action. And I think that if we do that within our own lives – um, with you know, from a leadership perspective, from a family perspective, and 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 then you know, actually make things happen. Great things can occur. So so all right. So let's let's first of all, that was fantastic. I appreciate that. No 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 oh, no, 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 no 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 no. How will I know that it's done? Hey, wait a minute. Who who's interviewing who here, Jeff? Let me make this very clear. No, uh, no. Listen, I mean, from from your perspective, just because we're friends new found friends, you know, happily let you know just so that it happens. Just like we should let, you know, we should be held accountable by our peers or by our managers and not think that we are the only ones in control. That's why I love so let's, when- let's, mod- let's, let's model what great looks like, Dan, what great accountability looks like. How will you let me know that it's done? I will email you and let you know that it happens. How's that? that by what fair? time? Let's see. What time is it? Pacific Standard Time. Um, where are you located? You're in, you're in the mid, I'm, I'm in, in Austin. I'm in yeah, you're, in, you're in Texas. That's what I thought. So I'm in, I'm in California right now. You're in Texas. So how about by uh, one o'clock today? There we go. There okay. you go. There you go. And by, by the way, but I do appreciate that. And for this reason, I, I think that a lot of times with so many things spinning in your life, we say we're going to do things that don't get done. We, and we have the best intentions. We want it to get done. We need it to get done. That's why I was saying with groups like Vistage, the way they problem solve is so fascinating to me. You know what they do? They state their problem. Then they have somebody repeat the problem back. Think about this for mm-hmm. a second. Because usually the problem you're trying to solve, you know, you're, you're stating is not the problem that actually needs to be solved. So it's, it's asking the questions to get there. But then they go around the room and they just ask questions for 15, 30 minutes. It's, it's timed. And the person can only answer the question. They can't go off on a tangent. They can't, you know, they can just answer the specific questions. But at the end of that, 
they go around the room and those 15 CEOs, each one of them gives them their specific individual solution to their problem. Then that person has to choose a solution, state it. They are given a date by which it's going to be done and a time, just like you did. And then they assign somebody to hold them accountable to get it done by that time. And they have to all report back. That's really what Jeff was doing. And that's why I value that and appreciate that. And, and, and so, so, so to continue on, so Jeff, when you interact with some of the, the most successful people in the country, if not the world, you've noticed something different because I read this, uh, that, you know, it's a truly successful act. And that is that they care about, you know, for their relationship bank account almost more than their actual bank account. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So imagine walking in to a bank that you've never done business with. You want to do business with them for the first time. You walk in, walk straight up to the seller, say, hi, I'd like to open an account. They go, great. And they hand you the paperwork. You fill it out real quick. You sign it. And as you slam the pen down, you say, I'd like to withdraw $10,000. What are they going to say to you? They're going to say no, because you haven't put any money in the bank account yet. We all get this. Money doesn't come out of the ATM machine if you don't put it in first. Relationships are the same way. Yet so many of us show up asking for favors. We only interact when we need something from them. Every single time you make a request, you're making a withdrawal. The question is, how's your balance? Did you make enough deposits proactively so that you have a balance that you can withdraw against? That's what it means. You know what I'd like my listeners to do right now? I'd like you to write down two names personally and two names professionally. People in your lives that that impact you on a daily basis, that that are in your lives that that make an impact. And, And I call them gratitude calls. I want you to call them today before the end of the day today and thank them for being part of your life. On the personal side, it could be a spouse. It could be a child, mom, dad, friend, mentor. On the professional side, it could be an assistant, sales manager, you know, somebody that invested in you early on. I, I, I love doing this. And, and you think it's for them? No, it's for me. I mean, you know, these people have invested in you. And, and, and it goes back to exactly what Jeff just said. You know, are you investing in the relationships around you? Do they know that they matter in your lives? And by the way, my dad told me one day, he goes, Dan, uh, don't let one day of your life go by where the people that matter to you don't know they matter to you because somebody else will. And I, and I truly believe that. So I, I love that you've got to invest just as much in those people. And, and I love that you said it's a withdrawal. So thank you for, for doing that because I, I will remember that. That's, that's, that there's, that's a powerful statement. So, can, so, I, can I illustrate please? one more example of going small real quick? Yes, please. So you asked them to write down two professional names and two personal names. Now, for you who's listening to this, one of two thoughts happened. Some of you thought, I can knock that out, and some of you – don't think you have the time to contact those four people. If you're one of the people who knows you can knock it out, awesome. Go execute, baby. If you're one of the people that doesn't think that you actually can execute the four, can you give yourself permission to lower the bar to one? And if you can't make a phone call, can you give yourself permission to sending them a text? And if you can't send a text, can you give yourself permission to make it an email? What's the one thing that you can do such that by doing it would make showing that person gratitude easier or unnecessary? 
It's more about progress than the perfection. We know that if you set the bar at four and you don't think you can do four and you do three, you're going to feel like a failure. If you continue to feel like a failure day after day after day, what will you ultimately do? You're going to stop doing it. (laughs) You'll stop doing it. So give yourself permission to go smaller so that you get a win. Because when you keep getting a win day after day after day over time, compound interest takes over in the productivity realm. And we call that the domino effect. Yeah, no, exactly. It goes right back to your whole domino theory. Just push one down and and hopefully then you can start pushing more. You know, what are – just because I'm I'm curious because, again, you see a lot of people. You meet a lot of people. What have you observed to be – leader's biggest pitfall or the things that keeps people from optimal success? Uh, People. I'll sit in uh, the masterminds that Gary will put on for the top 100 agents in the world. And business in general, it's fairly simple. Make revenue higher, make cost less, increase profit, right? We overcomplicate things. Yet the thing that's a challenge for all business owners, for all leaders is attracting great talent and retaining great talent. And part of that is we're not really clear on what we're looking for. And if I asked you, what's a job description? You'll think, oh, all the things they got to do to get their job done. Our definition of a job description is the two to three things they have to do exceptionally well. Otherwise, they get fired. And then once they're hired, they're not hired. That's when the real interview begins. Now they go on a 30, 60, 90 to prove that they can be a master of those two to three things in the first 30, 60, 90 days, or we do not earn the right to be in business with them. So a lot of this is about how do you attract the right talent? I just went through that. How do you keep the right talent? That's when it comes down to coaching them to their possibilities, asking them questions when you naturally would tell them, issuing them challenges that are probably above their pay grade to see if they can rise to their challenge or if they need to ship out. You know, and then I, I would even continue on and then, and then appreciating the successes that they have and, and, and making them, you know, understand the value that they create from a leadership perspective. I mean, you know, the reality is that the people are probably aren't getting that at home. And I talk about this, you know, all the time that we get, we get to be that culture. We get to be that company where they are pushed, challenged, educated, but also appreciated. And I dare say loved, you know, along the way. Why not? I mean, these people are investing in your life. And, you know, to truly care about somebody, to truly care about their future, to truly care about investing in who they are, to be their best version of themselves. I mean, when somebody really feels that and it's real, it has to be real. What do they want to give you? Everything, not because they have to, because they want to, and there's a difference. So, so Jeff, you, you, you talked earlier about this. You, you, create, you said the word vision, you know, creating a vision. For my listeners, what advice do you have? What is the one thing they should know about creating an effective vision for the people they lead? You get vision by looking backwards, identifying the trends, and then benchmarking forward what else is happening around the industry and going even past that. And that's where you get your vision. That's vision for you. Vision for your people comes down to the questions that you ask. I remember when the challenge of um, creating my vision, my business plan for the company and getting Gary and Jay to sign off on it was issued to me. 
And I asked Jay, I said, great, what, what matters to you? What ideas do you have so I can make sure my vision is aligned? And he said, we have some ideas and we are not going to share them with you yet. Here's why. Number one, yours may be better than ours and we don't want to limit your thinking. Number two, this gives us a sense for how you think. And number three, if we give you the vision and it fails, who's accountable? We are. It's our vision. If it's your vision and it fails, who's accountable? You are. If you're interviewing for the right to be the CEO of this company, the buck has to stop with you. So come up with your vision and we will ask you questions to expand your thinking and ensure that you're going down the right track. We will not allow you to go down a path that we don't think will work. And that's how it began. By the way, I, I love this from a, a leadership perspective, even, even to your managers and to the people around you and, and, and to your family members. I mean, get, if the buy-in is not there from them, if this is just another crazy idea that they, they think is going to stop within the next couple of weeks because you're going to be on the next crazy idea, very difficult to get people to follow that and to be excited about it and to, and to have passion for it. So I love those three. And by the way, I mean, those three can be specifically a blog, but I love that because um, I just think that, that there's, there's great advice in that. So toward the end here, can we, can we talk a little bit more about you personally as a leader? Um, do you have one trait that you look for in the top people you surround yourself with and why? Uh, in the top people from a mentor standpoint or from a talent standpoint? From a talent standpoint. Talent standpoint. Well, I have to take a step back. I'm looking for empire builders. Imagine if you had a single sheet of paper um, and you put a line down the middle of it and on the left-hand side, you drew an org chart. Yourself at the top, five people under you. So the company has six people. And on the right, you draw the same org chart, but the five people below you have five people below them. And each of those people have five people below them. And you scale it down to the point that there's 180,000 people inside that organization. What's the difference in terms of the people on the team that made the difference between the six-person company and the 180,000-person company? Gary would suggest to you it's the five people that report to you. Having just five people that report to you versus five empire builders that report to you, meaning not only do they own 100% of their job, they give you back 0% of it, but they're able to build an empire by being inside of your world. Difference between a millionaire and a billionaire is a billionaire doesn't lift a pinky until they find the perfect person to run that opportunity. So what do I look for? I was told first thing, like I knew I was going to need to hire an executive assistant. I wasn't looking for an executive assistant though. I was looking for someone who's currently an executive assistant who's likely to become a future CLO. I just hired a community manager. I wasn't looking for a community manager. I was looking for a future CMO who's currently doing the work of a community manager. And the number one characteristic that we're looking for in that is assertiveness. Are they the type of person who is naturally assertive, who naturally wants to move fast, who when resistance shows up, they will punch it in the face. And our interview, as we go through this, we're asking questions about, tell me about the biggest challenge you've ever encountered. 
What did you do? Tell me another time of a, a story of when you faced resistance in your personal or your professional life. What does that look like? Someone who is naturally an assertive person wants to move faster than everybody else, and most people slow them down. So they're constantly facing resistance. They will have an endless number of stories around that. That's the first thing we look for. So looking for empire builders. So for my listeners, are you, list, are you looking for those people? Are you getting the right people in the right positions? If, if you truly believe you're only as good as the people you surround yourself with, you know, are you settling for mediocre? You know, so often people have people in positions right now and then, then they're struggling because they, 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 you know, think of, I shouldn't have this person. They're not doing their job. They're not doing what they said they could do. You know, are you settling for mediocre? I've never heard anyone say, oh, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have you know, fired that person. It's usually I waited too long. And, and then they get the new person, that empire builder, into that position, and it's just like a whole new world. But we'll make excuse, excuse, excuse to try to keep them because maybe it's just not it's – just, it's just easier that way. But you have to have the right people in the right positions. The challenge is good is the enemy of great. When you've – got good on your team. If you're in a burning building, you're stuck and someone wants to come in and pull you out by your hair, you're going to say thank you, even though it's painful. If you've got people on your team that are good, they're doing the job well. They're doing the job. It's easy to stick with that person and it's putting a ceiling over your achievement. Gary was talking about this. He was saying specifically when it comes to scaling big businesses, the battleground that people don't make their battleground and should is the executive assistant role. They don't make a standard of having someone lead the administrative operation who is assertive, who can carry the weight of the world on their shoulders, and number three, is willing to allow and support the business to get as big as it needs to be. And this is really important. Everyone has a cul-de-sac. Most people have a cul-de-sac. That perfect neighborhood, the perfect house where they're so comfortable. Yet if you're looking for an empire builder, you're looking for someone who constantly wants more, more, more growth. That is not comfortable. And at some point, the growth of the business may eclipse that person's desire for growth. So when you're looking for an empire builder, they are the person who is naturally assertive, who can carry the weight of the world and will allow the business to get as big as it needs to be. They will evolve their skill set to remain relevant moving forward. Now stack that against your chart and see what holds you got. And one thing to consider, I'm talking about what I'm looking for. I am looking for empire builders because ultimately I don't want to be CEO forever. I want to be chairman of the board. I want to be able to free myself from the business and have the business continue to grow. Every business most of the people in it are not going to be empire builders. You need that person who is really happy being an administrative assistant. You need that accountant. You need that marketing manager. I'm just talking about what I am looking for specifically. So if you are the CEO of the organization, the P how will you ever earn the right to free yourself from the business, to step away from the business and have your network go up? if you don't have a few empire builders that report to you directly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great challenge for all my listeners. So first of all, I want to thank you for all your time. I, I do I want to end with this question because I think it's just uh, so symbolic of life and kind of putting some perspective into where we are. So 
a lot of times I'll say at the end of my speech, I'll say when I'm talking to, to CEO groups, I'll say, hey, let's talk legacy for a minute. And I'll ask a question. And, and, and I want to ask you the same question because just to kind of, again, talk about legacy. How will your children describe you to their children? And, and I want you to answer that, Jeff, not what they would say. In your wildest fantasy, what would you want them to say? How would you want to be described? I, I already know this because we, we, um, we did a couple's goal-setting retreat we put on at the end of last year. And part of this was getting real clarity on vision for your life and purpose and creating an I am statement. Um, they would say I was the type of person who helped others get what they want first. So that's what you would want them to say? Yeah, because Zig Ziglar said you can have everything you want in life if you help enough others get what they want first. I, and this was not like, ooh, Jeff just wrote something down on a sheet of paper that sounded really good. I spent hours diving into what would an extraordinary spiritual life look like? What would an extraordinary physical health look like? What would extraordinary look like in my personal life? What would extraordinary relationships, job, business, finances, what does that look like for me? That's the thinking big. And then I did the work of going small to identify what the activities were that I could do such that by doing it would make those things easier or unnecessary. And it all came down to helping others get what they want first. To investing in others, believing in others, caring for others, loving others. And I, listen, Jeff, this, this is fantastic. There's so many great takeaways here. I want to I thank you so much for taking the time uh, this morning. Where can people find out more about you? Links, social sites? Sure. The, yeah, the, the one thing.com is our website, and that's with the number one in the URL. The book is The One Thing, and that's spelled out the O-N-E thing. Uh, you can get that anywhere books are sold. Our podcast is The One Thing Podcast, and uh, that's, that's where I would recommend starting. You're already listening to audio. I'd say start with the podcast because that's where I get to pull back the curtain and really show what it looks like to live this on a daily basis. And by the way, we'll include those in the show notes too at quigglegroup.com forward slash 048. Well, thank you again for your time, for sharing your valuable insights with my listeners. Uh, just really appreciate it, Jeff. Thank you, Dan. Take care. Thanks. Remember, subscribe to Garage to Goliath and iTunes, quigglegroup.com forward slash iTunes. And please give a rating and leave an honest review. You are the one who helps other leaders find this show. And share this show with friends. You can send other leaders in your life a text or email with the link quigglegroup.com forward slash 048 to share this episode specifically. And you can get show notes and a show recap at quigglegroup.com forward slash 048. Also get a free copy of my leadership ebook as a guide to build your own kitchen cabinet at quigglegroup.com forward slash kitchen cabinet.